This is what I did the last bear market, and I came out with more conviction, stronger than ever, incredibly excited about the future. Hey, Bankless Nation, happy third week of June. It is a bear market, officially a bear market. David, you feeling bearish this week? Well, I feel now that I am capitulated to the bear market, I'm like, well, do I continue to be bearish or are we done here? <laughs> what's uh, the point of being bearish? Yeah, what's the point of being bearish now? It's all, all the bearishness that's already happened, right? Well, well that, could, that could be wrong. It could be wrong. Yeah, we'll have to get into that. And uh, you're in your new setup in New York, the first mm -hmm. roll up I think we've done in New York. And you've got like yeah. a bear market vibes with the big brick wall behind you. Is this your yeah. new place? I feel are like we always going to have this brick? Bear market jail is like, yeah, I'm bear market jail time. <laughs> yeah, I was overly bullish too i got punished for being a pull perma bear now i'm in the bear market perma bull so now i'm in a bear, mar bear, bear market, market prison jail yeah, yeah exactly that's exactly <laughs> Sorry, right man. well we got a lot to talk about this week so i hope bankless listeners have their morning coffee coffee it's friday morning bankless ain't stopping in the bear market every friday yes, this is gonna come at you actually i won't be i'll be out next week but dave's got it covered all right <laughs> Every Friday, Bankless will ship a weekly roll-up, and this is yours this morning. We're going to talk about a few things. The first, David, crypto is crashing. Why? Oof. We look at the historical precedence of that. What else we got? Uh, we also got, of course, the Fed raising interest rates, which is definitely a part of the whole crypto crashing story. But also there's a, you know, everything's crashing. Uh, so this is actually a first for crypto. Crypto's never crashed with, well, also everything else crashing too. Uh, and so we're going to into the details around with that. The tide is out, part three of the topics of the week. The tide is out and many, many people are caught swimming without swim trunks. So we're going to talk about who got caught swimming naked. Uh, and then last but last, not least, Ryan, take us home. Yeah, Celsius is one of the people who got caught without swim trunks. So is one of the largest hedge funds, Three Arrows right. Capital. We're going to talk about that story. It just uh, came up in the last week from our last roll-up. Uh, and then CeFi is breaking all around us, but DeFi didn't. We got some hot takes at the end. So stay tuned and make sure you like and subscribe if you enjoy these episodes, of course, on YouTube. And rate and review if you're listening to this on the podcast Go ahead and do that. You know what, David? We're going to get to uh, Celsius in our show in a little bit. But actually, our friends at Notional, they are a DeFi borrowing and lending platform. And on the topic of CeFi breaking, but DeFi didn't, guess what didn't break, David? DeFi and Notional. Notional is still spitting out the yield, the fixed APY yield. So uh, Notional is giving you 3.08% on your ETH right now, on your Ether. Uh, and you can, of course, also get USDC, DAI, or WBTC lending as well. So Notional, part of the whole part of the crypto industry that's working just fine right now, uh, giving you your yield when you want it, where you want it. So you can check that out. There's a link in the show notes, bankless.cc slash Notional if you want to get some of that dependable yield. What I love about this is this is a fixed rate. So you can sign up for a fixed rate yield for a year. Also, there's no counterparty here. That's the problem. That's the thing mm -hmm. that got Celsius in trouble is went into a black box. There were all sorts of counterparties. Right. Who knows what they were doing with it? This is all on chain. This is uh, how DeFi solves some of the problems that are lingering in CeFi. Anyway, go check that out. The link that David just mentioned. But David, we got to get into the markets, man. You ready for some Bitcoin talk? It's been a oh, bloody week. Boy. Uh, give it to us straight. Don't, yeah, okay. don't hold any go. punches. No, don't hold back. Well, Bitcoin lost basically $10,000 in the last week, which, I mean, if it was at the highs of like $70,000, that would be one thing, but it, it was at $30,000 last week and it went down basically $10,000. It's come up from the low, so we're at $21,000 right now, but overall Bitcoin is down. You ready for this, Ryan? 
30 percent 30 in and a week? half percent in a single week wow this is yeah. a bloody week uh it's got to be historic in some ways but tell us about eth as well um, yeah ether uh another uh oof week of course i think that to state the obvious start of the week at eighteen hundred dollars we are currently at one thousand one hundred dollars so last lost seven hundred dollars down 38 percent oof can we Oof. talk about the lows here? So how low did, did Ether get? This is, yeah. uh, did, did it get into triple digits? Not yet, right? But close. In DeFi markets, it actually did wick down uh, on Uniswap below uh, $1,000. So in, in DeFi, it very, very briefly got wicked down, but it got bought right back up. So I don't really count it. It's more of an anomaly. Uh, so yeah, the, the, uh, I would call the official low at about $1,020. An of note, though, that is lower, much lower than the all-time high of the last bull market. So yeah. the all-time high of the last bull market was 14,000 something, 1420, 1430, 1440, something like that. And we are below the last all-time high. Uh, so this is, Which is uh, unprecedented. uncharted. Yeah, unprecedented. unprecedented. Of course, yeah. uh, Ethereum's only had one cycle. So right. like one big bearish uh, Well, it's cycle. got two now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second. Uh, Bitcoin... <laughs> Did it drop below its last high? Like just about. I mean, yeah, it's it, basically it, there. Basically there. So its low is uh, twenty thousand one hundred and sixty-six on this chart. Um, well, uh, this is the the wick you were just mentioning on Uniswap, mm -hmm. where we dropped into triple digits, but we're still hanging above uh, into the um, uh, quadruple digit territory for mm -hmm. ETH. But what is the ETH Bitcoin chart telling us? Yeah, we went down from point zero five nine to point zero five two. Uh, down 12%, so oof. Uh, and I'm gonna chalk this up to a number of different reasons, mainly ETH being collateral in DeFi uh, and overall collateral across crypto. So that collateral, when we have liquidation events, that collateral gets sold off heavily. Uh, and so like three hours capital was liquida liquidating ETH, Celsius was liquidating staked ETH, uh, creating that incredible discount between staked ETH and ETH right now. Uh, and so just like the ETH BTC ratio just getting absolutely hammered. I'm going to add another reason to the list is uh, you called the bottom on that ratio no, last I, week. No, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I don't, let's not bring that up. Let's keep on going. Moving That's on. another reason we knew we were headed down. <laughs> I was, I'll call the bottom every single week. The bottom's is happening the bottom, right David? now. This is the absolute bottom of <laughs> okay. the BTC ratio. You know what that means, guys. We're I'm calling, I'm calling the bottom again next week. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about uh, total crypto market cap? Uh, we got to yeah. be, are we below mm -hmm. 1 trillion oh, yet? Yeah. Yo, yes, sir, we are. We uh, started last week at 1.3 trillion. We are down to 0.94 trillion. We lost 306 trillion, oh, excuse me, trillion, a billion dollars in total crypto market cap last week. I fell out of the quadruple comma club. Look Oof. at that. Um, I remember when we first surpassed that $1 trillion milestone and now we are back under it. So we are retracing yeah. a lot of the gains over the past uh, year or two. Um, mm -hmm. How about this? Like how unprecedented right. is this drop? Can you compare this to 2018 and look at the history here? Because this yes. felt very fast and very mm -hmm. steep. Yeah, so look, look at this chart. This is the 2018 bubble uh, of to the total crypto market cap. This is an index of all crypto assets. So it peaked out at something like $80 billion, I think, I think excluding stable coins, although stable coins weren't that, very, weren't that big that, back then. Uh, so it peaked out at uh, basically $800 billion, fell down to below $100 billion, like $91 billion. And it took 350 days to do that, Ryan. That's, okay. It basically took a whole year from peak to trough, top to bottom. It took a whole year of time and inside that time there were multiple like plus 40 percent like run-ups like bear traps 
Um, and so, or excuse me, bull traps, because like it would go up and then people get really bullish. Like look at that run. Uh, I remember uh, like Ether fell down from uh, 1400 down to 300 and then rose up to 900 and then fell back down to 300 again. And like Bitcoin did something very similar. Uh, and so like even in what was ultimately a one year long downtrend, there were periods of plus 20, plus 30, plus 40 percent price rises. Uh, we did not see that at all in this particular uh, bear market. And in comparing this to the 2022 bear, uh, we go down 70% in 217 days rather than 350 days. That is 40% faster. If we are calling the bottom right now, if this is the bottom, uh, which it could be, it could also not be. Um, but if the if this it, where we are right now is at 217 days versus 350 days, and right now we are down 70 percent, 70.6 percent in total crypto market cap versus where we were uh, last last time, which was what was that percentage? 87 percent. So uh, not we have 17 percent less uh, red than in 2018, um, uh, and also but also 20 like we're only. 40% of the time or 60% of the time. So like if you are comparing cross cycles that could lean into like we still got a little bit more to go. Like if we went down 50%, what would that put us down to? If we went down 50% right now, that would be at 85%. Um, and so that would start to be comparable. Uh, so like, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that the, the bottom is not in yet. Although there's also evidence to suggest that the bottom is in yet. So we'll talk about that further on in the show. I think we might, What? who knows what'll happen again. This is pro prognostication, we're not traders, but like, I think we'll see some relief rallies. But uh, mm -hmm. I don't think this bear market is over. We definitely have a ways to go uh, from my perspective. And then if you look at mm -hmm. uh, 2018, there was this recovery phase. So mm -hmm. even though we bottomed in December 2018, it didn't feel like the bottom at that point in time because right. then we just kind of, you know, crabbed out and just hung at a price point. You weren't sure whether we we're going to dip or not. Uh, anyway, this this could be a, a long one and there could be some more pain ahead is what we're saying. But how did the gas market hold up in Ethereum? Because this is interesting. You'd think this would be a big stress test. What are we looking at here? Yeah, so the average gas price over the last uh, week was about 38 guay. You can see that if you scroll down a little bit, Ryan, uh, the, the, which is kind of crazy. Uh, the gas prices by week peaked out at 32. Scroll down a little bit more, a little bit more, a uh, little bit more, a little bit more. There we go. Total gas distribution, that green curve on, on the right side. Uh, yeah, 38 guay, which is crazy. Uh, I remember in, during the COVID crash uh, where uh, Ether prices, crypto prices on, on Ethereum crashed like 40, 50, 60% inside of 24 hours. Gas spiked up to 300 guay, which was unprecedented at that time. We had never seen gas prices above like 10 or something, and it went up to like 300. Uh, and we had, in, uh, we had just irregularity in the DeFi markets. We had maker vaults uh, being uh, liquidated for zero dollar collaterals, which was bad. But like the DeFi liquidations right now were totally regular and the, and the gas markets were totally balanced and nothing really got out of hand. And so this is a big story that is really being discussed right now is how efficient and regular the DeFi markets were during one of the fastest drawdowns in crypto history. It's actually pretty crazy. It's uh, actually incredible. I think that's a theme of this episode, how well DeFi held up, how resilient it has been, and, and the kind of the more centralized aspects of crypto's financial market have been the things that have been stress-tested. And those are the things that have been, uh, as the tide rips out, not wearing any pants. Um, but David, let, let's get to kind of like, how are people feeling? Because um, there's a lot of pain in the market right now and especially for mm -hmm. for first like cyclers maybe come in the last year or you know 18 months or so they're not used to this level of pain i mean they've been born into right. a world that's been basically 
up only. And I've right. seen a lot of, um, I guess, um, pain type tweets on, on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I mean, people very worried about the future of crypto, wondering if it's all over. Um, I know we talked about this in our bear market, special edition bear market episode that we did on Tuesday, but um, how do you feel like the community's hanging in there and, and like, how are you doing with things? I'm generally a pretty Zen stoic individual. So if I really need to like, I really need to kind of like dive deep to figure out like my emotional state. Um, I do have, <laughs> I do have fear uh, for, and this is very related to uh, the, the Federal Reserve, the United States economy, uh, and just fiat ecosystems at large. And so while like crypto seems like the like the prices and fundamentals are always incongruent, fundamentals of the crypto industry are better than ever, and they only continue to get better. And especially, and that's proven out in the regularity of the DeFi markets while we had liquidations in CeFi. CeFi broke, DeFi didn't, and that's proving its use case, proving its legitimacy. But it's going to take a while for that to settle in. And meanwhile, like, the job of the Fed is to cut, to control inflation and not send us into a recession. And I feel like we are already committed to a recession, which is one thing. Like we've been through recessions before. Many of us lived through the 2008 crisis. Even though I was just a kid, I still still felt it. I am actually I do have fear of an actual like D depression. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and the and I don't know if this is just because I read a lot of like Ray Dalio, uh, <laughs> and we've seen what happens to other fiat economies when they lose their legitimacy. Like the Fed is the Fed is losing trust. Uh, they're whiplashing the the world around. Uh, like I don't like we also have the war in Ukraine. So like gas prices are are up, and they're not going to respond to interest rates because that's a different part of the world's economic system. Food prices are up and they're only going to get worse as far as I can tell I'm not an expert I only see what I see, the information that I see on like Twitter and, and like well I do think that I know where to look doesn't mean that I actually that things can change I don't, I don't know but like I think there's I'm worried that food prices continue to go up and that continues to do harm to the American economy and to the global economy. Inflation can't really get under control because it's like 50% of inflation is energy and energy you can't control with inflation rates. And so like I'm conflicted in that like wow there's so many cool things in DeFi but like it doesn't really matter if like the world burns down. And so I do have that fear. Yeah, I, I get that fear, and I think that's a fear a lot of people are um, are thinking about right now. One bit of uh, one thought I have for listeners is um, if you want a take from somebody who's in macro and also studies crypto, go listen to our episode earlier this week from Jim Bianco. Um, Jim shares some of the concern that you just stated, but he doesn't think we're headed for a depression. He thinks we're already in a recession, mm -hmm. but um, he talks about kind of the, the way out. We're gonna be talking about a little bit more of the way out as we get into the Fed section. I, um, you know, one thing that's helped me through these times, cause you know, been through bear markets before, as have you, David, and I'm, I'm wondering if this could help some of the bankless listeners is all of you guys are probably going through like the five stages of, of grief, yeah. grief here, right? Like you got, got the denial phase, you've got the anger phase, bargaining, depression, acceptance is the last phase. And you probably oscillate between some of these early phases like back and forth in a given day. Like sometimes you're denying it, sometimes you're angry, sometimes you're you're like, well, it's not so bad. And then sometimes you're just straight out depressed. Um, one thing I think we can help you with is getting to that 
end stage, which is the acceptance stage. And that's the stage you want to be in if you're going to get productive again. Uh, to get to that stage, you have to accept some hard truths. And I think one of those hard truths is you, you mentioned earlier, David, you're fully ready to capitulate and then we're in a fully like full on bear market right now. Mm -hmm. That's getting to the acceptance phase. And right. I just want to say this out loud for people. We are in a bear market right now. Mm -hmm. Things will get worse before they get better. This will take a while. Okay. He hear us when we're saying this. We are in a bear market. Things will get worse for a while and it could take a while. Now, once you've accepted that, then you can get to a phase where you can be productive again. And one of the decisions you have to make if you accept that truth and that reality is what do I do? What do I do with my crypto portfolio? And you have kind of three options ahead of you. Number one, you just sell it and leave crypto. My conviction's gone. You know, if we're entering a, you know, kind of a, sort of a very sad global state, I'm better off with like food and supplies and like, you know, shelter and like, I don't know, gold. I don't know what you're going to do with your money, but maybe something else. Maybe that's an option for you, right? Uh, the second thing you do, people could do, is trade the pumps and the dips, right? So they see these and they're like, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's dipping. Now's the time to buy. And then they, they sell. It goes up another 200, 300. They sell. Um, I think a lot of people choose to do that. The third thing you can do is just hold through the pain, all right? Um, of course, if do the first one if you're not convicted on crypto, Right. It's like, and, and again, uh, I think holding through a bear market requires conviction. You can't get conviction through listening to someone like David or myself. You have to develop that on your own. Um, so if you don't have conviction, maybe number one is the right option. Uh, it's not an option for me. I do have a tremendous amount of conviction in this asset class. So that's not the one I chose. But a lot of people who have conviction in the asset class, they default to two, where David, they start like trying to trade the dips right. and the pumps, and they try to think they can make money on that. Right. So many people in these bear market scenarios get wrecked by that, David. If like, you do not know that you are a trader, then you're not a trader. Don't do it. That's right. what I'm saying. So like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of encouraging the bankless audience to be very careful before they start trying to trade these dips and the pumps and that sort of thing. If you're good at that game, maybe you could do it, but most people, 95% of people should not be playing that game. And so you come to acceptance in the third option, which is just hold through the pain. Just mm -hmm. hold through the pain, you have conviction. And if you decide to hold through the pain, there's some things you can do for your mental health right now, okay? Right. One of the things you can do is delete your price apps for a bit. <laughs> All right, stop checking daily, hourly, every 10 minutes, every five minutes. Stop doing that. Mm -hmm. That is not good for your dopamine levels. All right, it's like not good for your psychological health. It's not gonna help you if what you're deciding to do is holding through the pain anyway. You're not gonna trade any of these moves, so why check it? Number two, I think you can start working on yourself a bit more. And maybe this means hitting the gym. Maybe this means reading some books that you have on economics, on philosophy, on, on history. Maybe this means learning to code. There's so many disparate skills that crypto requires to be really good. And, and you know, you can draw these out and you can start learning them during the bear market. The third thing is you can go build something. David, you mentioned like you and I started a podcast and a newsletter, the last bear market. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe art. NFT scene is gonna come back, it's gonna boom again. Maybe learn to code, maybe get into a community. We talked about layer twos being incredible opportunities for the future. Maybe you decide to join governance in one of these layer two ecosystems. That opportunity is in front of you. It's way less crowded, there's way more signal, go do that. Number four, you can level up, 
All right, forget price, just learn about the new DeFi protocols. David, you put out a great uh, alpha leak episode on Volt's protocol. How much do you know about interest rate swaps, guys? Because I don't know a ton, but I can level up through bankless uh, content and start to use some of these DeFi protocols. And then number five, I think you get to a place in acceptance, you start doing these things where you're like, ah, okay, we've, it's not over. It's not actually mm -hmm. over. Uh, everyone in crypto went through this before. This is how you earn the crypto appreciation. People think you get lucky with prices of crypto going high in a bull run. You don't, you do, but you also don't. This is very much about your ability to hold through these deep, dark crypto winters. Uh, and that to me is how you get out of this. This is what I did the last bear mm -hmm. market. And I came out with more conviction, stronger than ever, incredibly excited about the future. No, that, I think those are some fantastic bits of advice, Ryan. And just had to add on more clarity to, and color to that. Uh, my mental health uh, is actually bad in bull markets. Like it's... <laughs> It, like things are, yeah, things are noisy. They're hard to reason about. I'm confused. Like there, I can't keep, look away from crypto Twitter. Like there's like my attention is being pulled in every single direction. And like what a bear market is, is a bear market is a return to fundamentals. And you can apply that same lesson to your own psychology and your own personal well-being. Like take this opportunity to take a step back, go touch some grass, yep. uh, go, go exercise. Because if you are exercising, it's hard to have bad mental health. That, that is a the, there's a connection between these two things, and then just like zoom out and think about not like the the forced one to four week time frame perspectives of the bull market, but the one to four year perspectives of the bear market, and that yes. is how you re, like maintain your sanity. And so just to reiterate what Ryan said, what do you want to get done in the next one to four years? Do you want to like? get fit and get out there and see the sunlight and get away from crypto Twitter. <laughs> get away Do from you want screens. To, and like, if you need help, gaining conviction about like what we're here to do in this space, get educated, like understand why we're going through a bear market, understand federal rate, federal uh, reserve and like monetary policy and the choices that they're doing. Understand the history of fiat currencies and the choices that nations have made to, uh, to manage those things, to get a long-term perspective and to prepare yourself and your family and your loved ones and your bags for the future. Uh, and just, just so like, again, zoom out, get rational, get, get sober. The bull market's over. Uh, we got the it's time, the hangover's here. Uh, and so as soon as we can skip forward, like you said, into that acceptance phase, we can start to actually plan for the future and rebuild our, ourselves, our portfolios, uh, and like our, our industry. There you go, guys. I hope that was helpful to some of you listening who uh, are feeling the pain right now. That's how David and I get through it and cope and how many crypto investors do as well. Many of the OGs that uh, that you hear about mm -hmm. in crypto. The people uh, that David, stick around do these things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get to the Fed. All right. Okay. What are they doing this week? Uh, we're still on markets. That segue was important for our mental health, David. But <laughs> let's talk about the traditional economy numbers. What's up first? Yeah, so this is the Dixie, the DXY, which is a dollar index, which is comparing the value of the dollar compared to a basket of currencies. It's at all-time highs. Uh, well, not all-time highs. It's at a high since 2002, basically. Uh, and so all-time highs for as long as I've been paying attention to money. Uh, and so what this means is that people are really demanding the dollar. And this is 
is what happens when interest rates go up for the world reserve currency. They are making the dollar more scarce. They're making people with outstanding loans from the Federal Reserve pay back those loans at faster rates. Therefore, people need to get their hands on more dollars, so they're selling more assets. The Dixie at all-time highs, uh, so these are just correlated. Um, the world, since the world's debt is denominated in U.S. dollars, demand for dollars is going to go up as the Fed increases interest rates. Therefore, things sell off to access dollars, and that includes the bond market. Something that's unique that happened in the last few weeks, Ryan, is that both the equities market and the bond market have gotten hammered, which usually those things go in, in inverse correlation to each other. But in this week, the last couple of weeks, they are uh, correlated with each other, both going down, both getting hammered, because both markets are trying to get their hands on dollars. Everyone's trying to get their hands on dollars. It's funny that uh, with inflation so high, the dollar goes up, but that's exactly what happens when people are panicking and uh, mm -hmm. uncertain. Um, also, we could take a look at the... Uh, gas, the gas markets. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about Ethereum gas. I'm talking about traditional gas that you used to fill gas, your tank yeah. with. And uh, we are at highs as well. So above $5 is the U.S. national average per gallon. Um, you know, part of this, of course, is uh, COVID, right? Lack of oil uh, refineries and processing in the U.S. A big part of this, of course, is the war in Ukraine. Um, there's lots of issues, and this is one of the issues the Fed can't really fix. It can't print more gasoline, right. can't print more barrels of oil, and it looks in the future like it's going to continue to rise. As long as we're looking at numbers, David, what is uh, the third number that we have here? Yeah, this is, of course, the CPI, the, the metric that really kicked off the last 40% downwards price action. Consumer price act, uh, prices up 8.6% year over year on ending May 2022. Uh, and so while people, and this is why crypto prices went down so violently and equities too, people were uh, hoping, praying that inflation had peaked uh, the, in April. Uh, and so we were going to see the CPI numbers in May uh, be lower, hopefully in the seven, uh, ideally in the six range. Um, eight, eight, like the low eights would have been just like, meh, okay, fine. But it was 8.6, which was a decent amount of inflation uh, above what expectations were. And so this goes from the last holdouts who thought that inflation was transitory capitulated. And so the entire market reorganized itself to uh, go from transitory inflation to uh, long-term inflation plans. And so uh, assuming that the Fed is going to raise interest rates faster than expected, that faster than the market had accounted for. Uh, and so that's why crypto prices and all prices are, are down bad. I do think 8.6% is actually a, a lower limit of that, too. There's an interesting mm -hmm. website that rolled out recently called Trueflation, which uh, tries to predict a, like, a better non-government right. uh, inflation rate. And that was tracking. The website's not loading right now. But uh, You know it's bad when the 10%. private market comes up with its own inflation numbers because yeah. you can't trust the government. This is, cl I, this is classic end-of-stage fiat cycle things when the government says, oh, inflation, it's only this percent. And then meanwhile, the market understands it to be way higher. Yeah, I found true inflation really interesting. So they're saying annual inflation is about 10.8%, so already mm -hmm. double digits. And if you look at things like housing, for instance, like housing is 12.3%. Uh, and go to energy. Do you see that anywhere? Um, health, transport, transportation, it's more like 18%. Yeah. So uh, that's reflecting it by category as well. And this is interesting. Nearly one in four homeowners would have to sell if interest rates rise even more. So there are some breaking points in this economy. Right. And as we were talking with Jim Bianco, you only see those breaking points and those fracture lines when uh, the market is in stress and in turmoil. So we're not mm -hmm. sure where the next shoe is going to drop in the traditional economy, but we have some glimpses of things. Um, 
David, all of this, of course, the Fed has to respond in some way. And you were talking mm -hmm. about what the Fed response is going to be. They just announced yesterday that they were going to raise interest rates by 0.75%. And this is the biggest increase since 1994. They've not done this high of a raise since 1994. Um, people are projecting uh, interest rates of 3.4% by the end of the year. Um, the next time the Fed meets, likely in May, it's projected that they'll increase by another 0.75%, maybe a 1%. That seems to be what they're indicating at this point in time. Um, but there's a problem here in that like, the Fed, their plan to fix inflation, they only have one tool in their tool belt, and that is to raise rates or do quantitative uh, tightening. And the Fed has made it clear that they have no impact on demand. Uh, sorry, they have no impact on supply, but they only have impact on demand. So they're basically beating us all down, making mm -hmm. us feel like we're in a recession and actually triggering a recession in order to decrease demand for products. And the hope is that that will tamp down inflation. Um, so if you're an asset owner, your assets go down. Mm -hmm. If you have no assets, you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck, you might lose your job. That's what a recession is. Uh, and the sign of reversal, like when will all of this reverse? I don't think it will reverse, and this is what we talked about with Jim Bianco, until we see the first signs of inflation actually reversing. So the beatings will continue until we see inflation maybe drop from that 8% to something closer to 6, 5, 4%. Who knows what the measure will be? Either that will happen, mm -hmm. David, or something will break mm -hmm. to require them to reverse course. What do you think about this? The way that this bear market ends, the way that we get out of this thing, the way that we all feel better is that the Fed has will might decide that it has gone too fast, too far, too quickly, and it reverses course. And there are some grumblings about this, some murmurings about this possibility that by the end of the year, the Fed will actually stop raising interest rates because of out of fear of the recession it's it's triggering being too strong. Because if you if you kill demand, if you kill demand too fast, you kill people's jobs, and then that turns and that can spiral out of control, and that can be even harder to get out of. Uh, and so, like the Fed is trying to weave this to weave this needle to to uh, thread this needle by reducing inflation but not triggering a recession. And and Ryan, like again, the window might not be open, and so the Fed just has to pick. Does it send asset prices through the roof? Because that's what would happen if we all heard that the Fed is going to stop interest rates, or do we send asset prices to zero because of a depression that we triggered? And there seems to, it seems to be like the likelihood that it's actually one of these things, like, and there's no middle ground, is like pretty most, the most likely outcome. It's one of these two things, up big or down big. Uh, and so there's some murmurings that the Fed is going to just be fearful of just having gone way too far uh, and it's going to reverse course. And then when we see that, we're gonna see markets just like pump off the floor. Because like, yes, it's over, like back to the easy money era. They crashed the markets, we're all broke, but at least the markets can go up again. So like there are some conversations about like this, uh, predictions about this happening. So how do we interpret all of this? This is what people want to know. This is uh, Vance Spencer's interpretation. You know, some people are saying, hey, this is the, the end of easy money is era. Um, Fed interest rates are going to rise. The last 30 years of low interest rates, we'll never see that again. But Vance has a contrary take. What is his take here? 
Finance says, have seen a common take from VC investors that the era of low interest rates is over. Maybe for a few months, maybe, maybe a year, that's probably right. But long term, it doesn't seem like we can put the genie back in the bottle and reverse a 40-year decline in interest rates. And Ryan, as, we rate, as the Fed raises interest rates, if the Fed raises interest rates by like 1%, it puts costs on the U.S. government because the U.S. government is in massive debt. The U.S. government has more debt than any of us by a long shot. And so like 1% of interest rates turns into like hundreds of billions of dollars of monthly fees, payments that the government has to make. And it does, it, the federal, uh, the the Federal Reserve is just as insolvent as a three hours capital is. Like we'll get we'll get to that part of the story. But like they have debts to pay. And so like this is going to the conversation of just like at some point they cannot raise interest rates. And it's lower than five percent probably. Um, and so, like, the era of easy money is on the horizon, whether it's in one month, one year, a few years, it ultimately will return back to an easy money situation just because we're in debt. And that's just what we, that's the, the paradigm that we live inside of. And we can't break stuff without triggering a depression. And so, um, this is like the light at the end of the tunnel. Eventually, everything breaks so far that we have to go back to 0% interest rates. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I think that's that's probably true because the Fed, it's not in the Fed's interest or the U.S. government's interest to actually break things and send uh, the world or the economy into a, another recession so, right. or depression. And so if that's the case, then you got to imagine this will stop at some point in time. When will it stop? Not sure. But there could be tremendous buying opportunities here. One right. thing that's interesting is, do you know Wells Fargo and Ethereum are the exact same market cap? Like that's real ridiculous. close right now. Both of them are worth $146 billion. So as an investor, if you were like, you know, deciding to invest is like, where do I put this dollar? And I have the world's assets choice. I could put it in bonds, I could put it in stock. You could put it in Wells Fargo, or you could put it at ETH, and you're buying those things at the same price right now. I think it's a total gift to be able to buy the future, things like Ethereum, at a low price point right now at like lower than the price of Wells Fargo, the same price of Wells Fargo stock. And some people don't like these comparisons of like, cause Wells Fargo is a bank and Ethereum is, is a whole monetary system. Look, they're both assets. I know apples and oranges, but both are fruit. I think you can compare them. And the question is coming out of this, where will people want to put their money? Will they put it in the old traditional banking system or will they put it in mm -hmm. this new economy, this new financial system of Ethereum? And I know which bet I'm gonna take personally, but again, yeah. you gotta develop your own conviction for this. Uh, David, we got uh, some other things to explore that's coming in the next section, but uh, Spencer Noon kind of teases that for us. What's he saying here? Yeah, Spencer says, it's becoming increasingly clear that one, the ETH move, ETH move from $1,800 to $1,000 was the result of large forced sellers, and two, the majority of forced selling is behind us. Cautiously optimistic that we found a local bottom. I heard a, a cool take, uh, interestingly, uh, recently, Ryan, that if 2017, the ICO mania was crypto's dot-com bubble, 2022 was the 2008 housing crisis. Mm. And what that means is that the dot-com bubble was a bunch of like internet promises, which is what the ICO mania was. And the 2018 crisis, uh, excuse me, the, tw the 20 2008 housing crisis happened because of an over-leveraged, low money, uh, easy money monetary policy. And, and then over, like, and people just kept on cascading because they were leveraged on leverage on leverage, which uh, I think we're about to see, Ryan, is exactly the case on many, many of the crypto participants in the market. So that is 
the topics that are coming up next, uh, CFI insolvency, uh, the three hours capital caught swimming with no shorts, and also layoff season as well. So some bear market topics coming up next right after we get through some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Hey guys, we are back with our main event news items. The first is about Celsius. So Celsius is a centralized lending and borrowing platform. Um, and they announced this week in a shock to the market that they were pausing all withdrawals. And so uh, users could deposit funds into Celsius and receive interest as a result of that. They could also borrow from Celsius, accomplished what many of the DeFi protocols do, only in a black box centralized model where you're not really sure how Celsius is generating that interest. You just know you're getting some interest back kind of a black box for you. Mm -hmm. Well, they just uh, notified the entire world that they were with, uh, pausing withdrawals. And so this is an indication of insolvency, that they can't actually honor all the depositors' commitment. And this, of course, sent the crypto world in a tizzy. One uh, tweet from Bankless HQ that I think is right on wow, is, if they That's can freeze tweet. withdrawals, it's a bank. <sighs> if they can freeze withdrawals, it's a bank. And so Celsius looking a lot like a bank right now. And of course, uh, you know, the bankless position has been a, any centralized lending and borrowing platform is actually a lot like a bank. But David, could you break down actually what happened here? What are some of the details of what Celsius is doing with the money and why can't they honor the withdrawals right now? So some details out of CoinMetrics, which is, has put out a great uh, metrics on-chain database newsletter. Uh, they say as of May 17th, Celsius controls over $11 billion of crypto uh, with at least 1,500 or uh, 150,000 Bitcoins. Sorry, I'm not used to that large number of Bitcoins uh, inside of their the, inside of their like a, AUM, inside of the assets that they hold. They also have outstanding DeFi positions. Uh, so Celsius is an active depositor of users' funds into DeFi protocols, uh, and, and they've also suffered some losses from hacks, right? So last December, Celsius admitted to losses of a hack of the BadgerDAO DeFi protocol when BadgerDAO was hacked. Uh, so they have losses that they that they used uh, customer funds for, which they have to make up. And so users don't even know if, if their funds were lost. It's because it's an aggregated pool of all users' funds, and so whatever funds was in Badger was lost, and so that stuff like that starts to chip away at the solvency of, of Celsius. Uh, it, Celsius also controls the largest vault of wrapped Bitcoin inside of MakerDAO. So as of June 13th, uh, Celsius's Maker Vault held uh, 24,000 wrapped Bitcoin worth about $500 million. As Bitcoin price fell below $25,000, Celsius Maker's Vault quickly approached its liquidation price of $22,500. Uh, and so, uh, Bitcoin price, $25,000. If it went down $2,500 more, the vault's collateralization ratio would reach the low, the low ratio of 155%. For those that don't know, MakerDAO vaults get liquidated at 150%. So uh, with just a few percentage more moves to the downside, that all of Celsius is, uh, not all of it, but a, a very large chunk of their Bitcoin would have been liquidated. Uh, on Monday morning, June 13th, the vault was topped up with an additional 4,000 wrapped Bitcoin, sending the new implied liquidation price down to $18,000 Bitcoin and a new collateralization ratio up to $185,000. As Bitcoin fell to $21,000 Monday night, Celsius added an additional 2K wrapped Bitcoin to the vault, lowering the liquidation price to $17,000. And this is where we are today. The situation remains precarious because if Bitcoin, like they can't keep on generating collateral out of thin air. And so as 
as the Bitcoin price gets lower and lower and lower, they aren't paying down their loans, Ryan. They're putting more collateral in there, which is like saying, okay, we took the loss, but I'll just double my bet and put it on black, which is already crazy. Uh, but that is only one half of the story. The other half of the story is staked ETH. Celsius is also a large holder of Lido's staked ETH. Uh, June 13th, Celsius held 445,000 staked ETH, $500 million. Uh, and, but there is less liquidity for staked ETH than there is on ETH for on decentralized exchanges. So there's only so much staked ETH that you can swap for Ether for, to, uh, to allow for users to withdraw their assets. Uh, and so... Since the staked ETH slash ETH peg has started to slip, it, uh, staked ETH has uh, started to trade at a discount. Uh, many people are uh, facing insolvency issues, and, sell, and, and so they are liquidating their staked ETH to get Ether back to pay down their debts, Celsius being one of them. Uh, and so there isn't sufficient transparency to make authoritative claims about the solvency of Celsius, and an unwind of this proportion uh, would, if Celsius had to unwind further, would certainly impact all of crypto markets. Um, and so, uh, like, like we've seen before, if there was indeed a Celsius allowed users to uh, withdraw, there would likely be a run on the bank because users want to get their funds out before others. And so that's why Celsius had to halt withdrawals. Basically, they are on the brink, Ryan. And if prices go down too much more, they would face just a, a trigger a significant liquidation event, which might trigger further liquidation events, which is pretty damn scary. The scariest thing about this, Ryan, is that basically Celsius is... A, a, like a yield farming, a centralized yield farming app. So you deposit your money into uh, Celsius and then they go and farm DeFi with it, which is the same thing as a bank. You put your dollars in Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo go gets yield out in CeFi with it. And then they pocket that yield and give you a little bit of, of difference. What Celsius is doing is they are leveraged yield farming. So they are juicing up the yields in order to attract deposits. And then they are going engaging in very risky yield farm behavior in DeFi, which works great on the way up and it's why Celsius has tracked billions of dollars of users deposits but it doesn't work so great on the way down especially as yields come down but also as they lock up users deposits inside of things like um, uh, inside of things like MakerDAO and also staked ETH which is a one-way deposit right now so like and so they're going like they leverage up they get a ton of yield and and then they lock their positions and in uh, a down when prices go down too fast they just can't unlock their positions to to give funds back to their users uh, so like if, if you have money in Celsius, users that currently have money in Celsius, because of the whole staked ETH thing, because they can't withdraw staked ETH until post-merge and then, and then about six months after that with, when withdrawals are uh, enabled on the Ethereum chain, they need to wait to get that money back. So there is money there. Uh, but like <laughs> you can't access it uh, and so they are kind of in a rock and a hard place And so they have to pause user th users withdrawals to maintain their solvency, which is kind of crazy Any Yeah, in that, fact, Ryan? they're probably they're probably insolvent right now, right is, is the case They're probably underwater on uh, the depositors assets mm. and so it, basically that's what they're doing They're generating yield and you just you know park your ETH here park park your USDC here will generate yield but they were taking those funds and doing all of these speculative risky things with it in order to generate that yield. Now, I'll note that that is actually the opposite of what DeFi does. Now, DeFi does generate yield, but it's fully transparent. It's fully on chain. You can see an audit log of everything that backs an individual position or an asset. You can right click view source. Celsius, it was kind of just like, here, put it in the black box. We'll right. generate interest. Trust us, please. Trust us. 
and uh, we all know what trust us uh, and it, what, how that ends up going. Um, there were some takes here as well about the way Celsius oh my God. positioned itself in the so market. Bad. So bad. And uh, where should I start this, David? Yeah, tweet number eight. It goes, uh, but even worse than the pseudo crypto vibe that is Celsius dangerous is use of meaningless platitudes and strident anti-bank rhetoric. This is a tweet from John Wu out of Aztec that I'm reading. Uh, so here's some of the marketing terms that, uh, that John took from their white paper and website. Banking is broken. Unbank yourself. Replace replace Wall Street with Bitcoin, 99% versus 1%. First off, those first three things is a complete farce because they're just a bank. They are using DeFi terminology, DeFi like memes, but for their CFI app. And so like it's in disingenuous versus for what is actually going on. Like these are the things that we chant about DeFi. Meanwhile, DeFi, again, highly efficient and highly orderly while all the CFI is breaking. And then the whole like 99% versus 1% thing is just the populist tactics that we've seen so many times. These are the populist tactics that Do Kwan used to advertise Terra. It's the populist tactics that Danny Sesta used to advertise Wonderland. It's just a consistent red flag across so many things that all ultimately come to break. Uh, John from Asset continues saying, worst of all is this in-your-face focus on safety, security, and transparency, and most of all, trust. Military-grade security. Withdraw your crypto at any time. Keep your crypto safe. Next level transparency like these are DeFi words and it's completely the opposite of what is true of Celsius so they're using DeFi talking points for their CeFi app which is uh, malicious disingenuous uh, and so again people that do these things like this is called Icarusing, Ryan, where you fly too close to the sun. It's just a little ridiculous. Uh, and they, again, for this is the lesson to take away for those uh, that are just unfamiliar with all these tactics that are going around in DeFi and crypto all the time. And even, even in centralized, this is a, a truth about the centralized world. John continues, therein lies the problem. The promise of sky-high yields combined with a veneer of legitimacy with regulated on-ramps, premium access for creditor investors, and regulator logos. This cleared the way for Celsius to pursue truly degenerate trading strategies with investor funds. And again, something that we've seen before, just a few days before pausing withdrawals on, on, uh, on Twitter, the CEO, Alex Mashinsky, uh, is attacking Mike, Mike Dudas, uh, formerly a CEO of the block. Uh, and Mike says, I hope retail can get out of Celsius. I am hearing about accounts being locked. That would be similar to Luna. We shall see. And Alex goes, Mike, do you even know one person who has a problem withdrawing from Celsius? Why spread FUD and misinformation? If you are paid for this, then let everyone know you are picking sides. Otherwise, our job is to fight TradFi together. Uh, and then, ironically, two days later, everyone had a problem withdrawing from Celsius because it was actually TradFi in DeFi's clothing. This is the crazy thing, too, is Alex's tweet got like three times as much likes as, as Mike's right. tweet. It's because you always, in these cases, have kind of an army of defenders. They're saying, don't right. pick on Celsius, right? right? And like, uh, it, it just, it's, it's very... It's very sad for all of kind of the people who uh, deposited into Celsius without actually knowing the risks of of doing that. Um, I do think it, it's you know a fun fact, Ryan. If we got, I've been attacked by the Celsius trolls. It hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, it was like back in 2019, 2020, uh, maybe early 2021. But like they were like, oh, have Alex Mashinsky. He's like he's like super into DeFi. And I would go and look at Celsius. Like this isn't DeFi. And so like Celsius had Celsius armies. Yeah, it's I, crazy. I, 
Uh, yes, I agree, and that that's always a red flag. It's like like mm-hmm. in the future, I mean, it's we it's kind of feel like we've called it every time. Every time there's every a red flag time. community, it's just like it turns out like this, and it's just all happening all at once um, these days. The the thing of it is, I'm not against a centralized um, lending and borrowing um, no, uh, not at all. companies either, right? Like I'm not. I'm not also. Like I know this show is called Bankless. I'm also not against banks. I do think DeFi is better, mm-hmm. um, but if you are depositing into a bank, into a Celsius or a BlockFi or a Nexo or anything else, you have to be aware of the risks. And just so happened, like I don't think that this is going to happen to the the BlockFi's and the Nexos of the world. Mm-hmm. We don't really know, to be honest. It just right. it just depends on how they manage. Uh, the assets that you've deposited with them. And clearly, like Celsius and the Alex and his team were taking, like he was more degen with his depositors money than I am with my degen portfolio that I have, my little side pocket where I'm playing around, like just taking extreme crazy risks Mm -hmm. that I don't understand why anyone would take with depositors funds to generate interest. I don't think the BlockFi's of the world and the Nexos are doing this, but the point is, we don't really know. That's the point. Mm-hmm. With DeFi, you know it's transparent. Right. It's on-chain. You can see what the risks are. That's why we are advocates of DeFi. Also, like, you know, centralized lending has a place, certainly, certainly. But I think we deserve more transparency and probably, and this might be unpopular with some, more regulation right. on the central. Because if there is centralized trusted third parties, we need some transparency. Yep. And if they won't provide it on their own as part of the free market, right? We need the regulators to step in, totally. right? This is a place for, but what I'm worried about, of course, is as always, is, you know, this all gets swept under. And I, I saw some uh, forums on on Reddit and such when people are saying, oh, all the DeFi advocates, look what just happened to Celsius. I'm like, that wasn't DeFi. Right. Stop. We, don't get me wrong. We get hacked. There are bridge attacks. There are like multi-sig problems, but like- Not this one though. Not this one, all right? And transparency is not a problem with DeFi constructed decentralized finance, all right? right. We, we've got that one locked down. Uh, so anyway, how does this resolve? Uh, it's a sad story right now. I don't think it's the end for depo- if you are a depositor in Celsius and you have your funds in, um, just stay tuned. All right. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a terror situation where you know it's everything's gone to zero and you you lose everything. Um, I'm sure they are underwater, probably at some degree with their collateral. But some of these assets are like staked and just being held, and you can't withdraw it. But because it's staked inside of ETH, and withdrawals aren't enabled on the beacon chain yet. But I do expect depositors to get at least some of their money back, maybe the vast majority of it, maybe 80 to 90 percent. This is a hope that I have. But the proceedings are going to like it's probably going to go to bankruptcy court or. Or somebody could step in, and uh, it appears like Nexo is another centralized lending company that's actually stepped in and offered to buy uh, buy Celsius. So that might come about too. Uh, anyway, hope not, is not, not lost. By Celsius, not by Celsius, but by Celsius's distressed assets. So take exactly. their illiquid assets off their hands and give them liquid assets so they can resume deposits. Which again, like some people. Like yield farming is scary. Some people don't have enough money to pay for gas prices. There's a place for CFI lending. Uh, and there are good CFI lenders and there are bad CFI lenders. And after crypto has an 80% drawdown and Nexo has the capital to buy out Celsius distress assets, I think you can tell which one is the responsible centralized yeah. DeFi app here right. that has the funds to back up their users' deposits. So pretty Chad move by Nexo. Uh, yeah, I, it would yeah, be yeah. interesting if Celsius basically does like 
bent the knee and it's like, okay, competitor, here is our assets at a steep discount because you were responsible with your funds. Do you know another fun fact, David? Yeah, I'm ready for it. I have a little bit of funds in Celsius. No you know way. That? Yeah. <laughs> so as part of that, like just a very little, right? So as part of, you know, the bankless journey and going like right. talking about centralized protocols and all of these things, reviewing BlockFi and Nexo, I have a little bit of funds in all of them mm. where I've just kind of parked it to test it. And like, you got to try See which one feels first. <laughs> I guess. So I don't know if I'm getting my ETH back, Alex and Nexo, Celsius. Nexo, well done. Nexo's the winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. I'm not worried at all about it, but um, but you know, I'm I'm right there with you guys. If if you're um, if you're in Celsius, and can't I can't withdraw. wait for the breaking co-founder bankless, of Bankless. Co-founder Bankless has. I also have some funds in BlockFi. Full disclosure, right? It's like uh-huh. I, you know, it's definitely far more in DeFi, but I'd like to use everything. Some place that you don't have your funds, Ryan, is with yes. Three Arrows Capital, How also you know, caught. Because <laughs> they don't do that. Oh, I know that one. <laughs> okay. You know, I have nothing in Three Arrows Capital. What happened to them? Yeah. So, uh, prominent crypto fund Three Arrows Capital is facing possible insolvency after incurring at least $400 million in liquidations, Coindesk reports. Uh, so, a very useful thread got put together by Danny8BTC. So, we're going to go through that thread because, uh, Ryan, I did not have three arrows capital insolvency on my bear market bingo card. I thought they were extremely capitalized. Well, for people who don't know who three arrows mm-hmm. capital is, okay, these yeah. are like the legend, like these are like the Chads. Le- like Chad Of legends. the bull market, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's the biggest fund held in the highest esteem, like mm-hmm. the biggest whales on the planet. Not necessarily the like high respect. Like it by depends everyone. who you talk to. It depends who you talk to. Not in our, like not in kind of the settler builder right. holder class, but definitely they wrote, among the rotators. traders. Yeah, they're yes. big big traders. Traders think they're chads, and the long term people kind of are frustrated by their constant rotations. Exactly. So that's okay. the context. These yes. guys are a big deal. And so Danny EPTC, he, he puts a thread together uh, and he goes, here's what happened between Three Arrows Capital and what we know so far. Uh, from November 2020, uh, we entered, and so this is an individual that has a relationship with Three Arrows Capital. From 20, no, November 2020, we entered an agreement with Three Arrows Capital in which we would pay them a fee to use... Uh, in which, yeah, to use their trading accounts. As a delta neutral market maker in the crypto markets, we are very sensitive to trading fees. When you're trading at nine figures USD per day, even a one BIP on $100 million is $10,000. If you're doing that every single day, it adds up very quickly. So our agreement with them was, we withdraw whenever we want. 100% of the PNL belongs to us. They are to never move our funds out without permission because it increases the risk of our positions getting liquidated. And in return, we pay them fees for their service. This was uh, a mutually beneficial relationship over a year and a half, we have known them since 2018, thought they were competent and didn't think that they would be degen enough to lose billions and not employ basic risk risk management. You hear that? Oof. On June 12th, with the market dropping and needing some funds from the account for our positions on other exchanges, we asked for a withdrawal from the ops team, which was honored, the operations team, which was honored. On June 13th, with the continuation of the drop, we asked for a bigger withdrawal. There was no reply, but we didn't think much of it at the time. After a while, the market stabilized, so we just no longer needed the funds. We thought maybe they were just busy. Turns out they were just busy. Uh, Fast forward to, well, not just busy. They were very, very busy. Fast forward to 24 hours ago. This came out a couple days ago, um, or yesterday, actually. Our fund's monitoring script noticed that $1 million was missing from our our accounts with them. We reached out to Kyle Davies, one of the two co-founders of Three Hours Capital, and the operations team on Telegram about the missing funds. No replies. We tried calling them. They were online because you can see the little green dot in Telegram, but they did not pick up. 
Then our traders noticed that there were some, a few rumors circulating on Twitter about speculating on three hours capital insolvency. Since we were directly involved, we felt uh, the need to tell the world about what had occurred and gauge the extent of the three arrows capital contagion. A lot of people have reached out about what they know, many of whom have di direct relationships with three arrows capital as well. What we learned is that they were leveraged long everywhere and were getting margin called. Instead of answering the margin calls, they ghosted everyone. The platforms had no choice but to liquidate their positions, causing the markets to dump further. However, they still have assets on a number of platforms. You know who you are in parentheses. We, we call for you to freeze their assets so that three arrows capital, uh, to those that three arrows capital owes money can be paid back in the future after legal proceedings. For what it's worth, for the most part, they aren't speculating with clients' money like Celsius was, maybe a threat another day about our dealings with them in 2019. Oh God. However, they did use our funds, a million dollars, to answer their margin calls. So three arrows capital used this trading firm's funds to answer their margin calls. Losing a bet is one thing, but at least being honorable and not dragging others into your bets who have nothing to do with it is another. Certainly don't ghost on everyone since potentially they could have helped you. Oof. Oof. And then, of course, uh, uh, Sue from Three O's Capital put out a single tweet after people notice their complete silence on Twitter, which is generally silence on Twitter is the sign of somebody's got their tail between their legs. Suzu tweets out, we are in the process of communication, communicating with relevant parties and are fully committed to working this out. No context about like that. So assuming that other people know the context. The people who are working with the who are working with Fero's Capital totally knows the context, uh, and so the yeah uh, confirmed three arrows capital down probably the baddest out of anyone at the point at the peak of the market. Ryan, no one really knows this number for verified fact, but the highest number I've heard is that at the peak of the market, when three arrows capital was up the most, they had eighteen billion dollars. Wow! So they are closer to like maybe below half a billion dollars at this point in time. So imagine losing like almost eighteen billion dollars, dude. Really. Like some yeah. of these numbers are speculation. We're not entirely yeah, sure, but like yeah. these definitely the order of magnitude uh, for sure. What's crazy about the story here, David, is so we've seen an algo stablecoin, yeah. a degen algo stablecoin kind of backed by nothing, just, you know, a, a meme potential die. We saw Celsius, which is basically gambling client deposits on degen DeFi yield activities. We saw that die. And we see three arrows capital likely insolvent due to leverage, due to margin, right? It just seems like this bear market in this back to Spencer Noon's tweet and this cascade of liquidations that we've seen in this very harsh dip has been caused by like things that are preventable. Like right. you don't have to go build a $15 billion algo stable coin that's backed by nothing, yeah. just memes and promises. You don't have to take out margin the way Three Arrows Capital did. You don't have to go degen on a depositor's funds in order to juice your yields. That's called being greedy. That's called mm -hmm. being irresponsible. That's called being like <laughs> diving into the risk pool all the way to the bottom. Like, it's not like what, what what's happening is some of these companies, these firms are just living with the consequences of this. Now, I think mm -hmm. like Celsius and Terra are probably the most egregious because retail gets caught left holding the bag. People, I'm talking about people who should like right. didn't know better. And they right. should have, and they learned a very harsh lesson through this exercise. The people um, that regulators protect. Right, right. Um, this is a take from Robert Leshner. I'll read this out. I became a DeFi, he's a DeFi founder of Compound, of course, a DeFi protocol. I became a DeFi founder in order to create a more transparent, autonomous, and safer financial system. Watching the implosion of UST, Celsius, three hours capital, and more, 
all of which are opaque and trust-based, reaffirms the need for decentralized finance more than ever. He bolded that. Decentralized finance more than ever. And this is back to the theme of the episode, David, is like, CeFi down bad, DeFi holding Just up. Just fine. The protocols, I mean, sure, the tokens <laughs> are down bad too, but the protocols are healthy and fine and collecting a ton of fees. Yeah. So, Again, CFI liquidated, DeFi orderly and uh, orderly and efficient. This was a great meme. Uh, I'm pretty sure you put this one together, Ryan. Uh, this is the Reaper coming to knock on the door meme, where it's got three doors. It's already opened up, and there's uh, just blood flowing out. <laughs> <laughs> the first one was Luna. The second one was Celsius. The third is Three Hours Capital. The next on uh, the, the door that the Reaper's knocking on right now is Tron. And the, the caption is, don't answer the door, Justin, uh, Justin, son of Tron. And the reason why I'm pretty sure you put Tron here on the door, Ryan, is because Tron is copying the Algo stablecoin model of Luna. Yes. Which is ridiculous because it went to zero. Just like a couple <laughs> weeks before, Luna imploded and Justin, son, and Tron decide to duplicate it to pump the price right. of Tron, right? Right. Some people were mad at this meme from Bankless, but we decided not to take it down because they were mad. No, they said it was a great tweet. They said it was insensitive. Okay. You know what's insensitive, though? When people like Luna, like Do Kwan, like Celsius, like Three Hours Capital took ludicrous risks with mm -hmm. investors' money because they were short-term and greedy. That's ludicrous, not That's this ludicrous. meme. They're just trying to like warn people about this, the risks of mm -hmm. centralization, the risk, the trade-offs that you're making when you deposit into black boxes that you don't fully understand. I think it's a good lesson for the crypto space, but there might be some other shoes to drop before we're done. And this is my like final tweet on this subject, I guess, or final thought on it is a bunch of people got dumb and greedy during the bear market, the bull market and are being liquidated now. This isn't the end of crypto. This is how crypto gets healthy, okay? That's exactly that right. This is what interest rates do. They burn <laughs> the brush yes. so that we can rebuild. So yes. like Terra, was never gonna be long-term sustainable. It collapses the first moment that interest rates go up. Three hours capital, levered to the absolute tits, was never gonna work, sorry for the word, uh, was never <laughs> gonna work with high interest rates. All the people that are getting liquidated because of high interest rates, we are returning to fundamentals. This is what bear markets do. We go back to the fundamentals, we go back down to the basement, and we rebuild the foundation stronger and stronger and stronger every single time. There we go. There we go. Guys, uh, we're going to burn through this too. There have been some layoffs in crypto. Mm -hmm. That's our third uh, story. Let's talk about a few. Coinbase, they laid off 18%. That's Oof. a fifth of their staff. Uh, Crypto.com, 5% of their Oof. workforce, another centralized exchange. BlockFi cutting 20%. That's mm -hmm. another big move. And then in the midst of this, Here's CZ from Binance, another crypto bank, let me remind you, but one that is in a pretty cash strong position, uh, I right. say. <laughs> CZ tweets this out. It was not easy saying no to the Super Bowl ad, stadium naming rights, large sponsored deals a few months ago, but we did, flexing on the other centralized exchanges. And he's saying, today we are hiring 2,000 open positions for Binance. So You know the, uh, you know the funny story about this tweet, Ryan? <laughs> what? Is like, it this okay, image? Good, good job, good job, CC. I'll give you your, your praise for being responsible and an opening position. Wait, responsible? He, we don't know that, but like, he's we don't, got we some don't know money. We, we, we know got that. some money, yeah. Uh -huh. And so like for the podcast listeners, there's this photo of CZ 
see in a blue button-up shirt reaching out his hand to shake your hand with a with a tag we're, we're hiring. I want to work there. It looks very much like a stock photo, a blurry background, very corporate. Like you definitely know this. Uh, this is in Binance's offices. Uh, and so like people are like, what's up with this photo, dude? Uh, I remember, I think Mooney uh, commented like, what happens if I if I shake that hand? Just because it's like, do you really <laughs> want to shake that hand? And then Kobe on Look Twitter, uh, he, he finds the stock photo of this other guy who is not not CZ, who's <laughs> it's actually a stock photo. And so what they did is they just took a picture of CZ's face and photoshopped it Look onto a stock photo. This That's is amazing. absolutely nuts. Oh my god! I love crypto. Anyways. Was this intentional? I don't know, man. This just had, had to. <laughs> It's good, it's good Photoshop work. Yeah, Anyways, it's fantastic. So yeah, big, big layoffs in the crypto space. Um, but I will remind people that these are the old institutions, not old, old like crypto institutions. Coinbase has been around for a while. Crypto.com has been around for a while. BlockFi has been around for a while. They have already scaled up bigly. They've already hit their point of saturation of growth. And so when the market turns over, because they were already saturated with growth, that actually does impact their ability to pay employees. That is, so it really the layoffs are only coming from the big institutions that have been around for a while. There are newer startups that have a ton of cash, like we've been saying every single week, and those people are doing just fine. Interesting dichotomy in the crypto space right now. And of course, brings us to job time, because there, like I said, there are people hiring jobs. And so this is coming at you every single week. If you have a job, if you're hiring in crypto, go to bankless.pallet.com slash jobs and post your job, because we're really good at getting people hired. And if you are looking to get hired in crypto, and you don't believe me about how many jobs there are, also go to bankless.pallet.com slash jobs and look at all the jobs available to you or go to the Talent Collective and post your resume so jobs can come hunting for you. The job, the labor market in crypto is hot. And so, yes, some parts of crypto are, lay are laying people off. Other parts of crypto are hiring big. Ryan, who's hiring this week? Let me know. Uh, there's a lot from Alliance Down this DAO this week, which is a oh, really wow. cool company I've, I've learned much more about recently. They're hiring a CTO at Alliance DAO, also a software engineer, full stack, senior software engineer, full stack, Alliance DAO, two of them, executive assistant Alliance DAO. That's not technical. A solidity engineer, that's very technical, Otter Space, technical. and a front end engineer at Abstract Ventures. We've got a founder and CEO. You can, you can hire a founder at wow. Boolean Labs. We've got a Twitter specialist at Bankless. Come make oh, memes for us. Oh, Research us. engineer at Blockchain Capital, a tech lead at Swell Network, Solidity Developer Unlocked, Senior Product Designer Streams, a whole lot more. Go to bankless.palette.com slash jobs. And also sign up so you get these via email. You don't just have to hear it from David and I yelling at you to get a job in crypto every week. Guys, we and just just for the record, those are only like the first like 25 to 33 percent of jobs that we read out on the jobs board. So there's so many more that you do not tip of the hear iceberg. you don't read that much. Just the tip of the iceberg. That's great. And so, like I say, fundamentals are stronger than ever. And you can be a part of building that fundamental base so we can kick off the next bull mania so we can all get liquidated then too. Uh, <laughs> coming up next in the second half of the show, second half, Jesus. It's already an hour long. Optimism Wintermute Hacker Update. There's an update there. Some drama. Good drama. Good news this time. Uh, Jack Dorsey releases Web 5, skipping right over Web 4. Okay. Uh, and also Coin Center suing the IRS. Uh, so interesting turn of events in many, many different parts of the crypto industry. We're going to get all to those stories and more right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible.
And Bankless Nation, we are back. Optimism Exploiter returns 90% of stolen tokens. And here's a quote from this article out of the Defiant. Over the past few hours, the address opened a line of communication with Wintermute on chain. That's pretty cool. And 17 million of the 20 million OP tokens have now been returned, said Optimism. The attacker has kept 2 million OP tokens as a bounty. Uh, and the 1 million OPs were by the exploiter were sent to Vitalik Buterin. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming Vitalik just like sent it to him. Oh, and when the uh, Winter Mute uh, Optimism token hacker sent the tokens to Vitalik, he also included a message inside of the transaction. Fun fact, you can actually do that, by the way. Uh, hello, Vitalik. I believe in you. Just want you. Just want to know your opinion on this. By the way, help to verify the return address, and I will return the remaining after you. I don't know what that means. After you do and that. After you, oh, okay. And hello, Wintermute. Sorry, I only have 18 million, and this is what I can return. Stay optimistic. Interesting uh, hacker, I <laughs> so guess. So that was like a forced bounty. It's not like the optimism team gave him. He just kept 2 million as a, yeah. as a bounty. Is that the case? I guess so. I guess the optimism's like, hey, we will not pursue charges if you just give us most of the stuff back. I don't know. One, one million or two million tokens of reward is pretty pretty damn good. Uh, I guess. Yeah, it's you keep ten percent. That's the the hacker <laughs> fee. The white white hat hacker fee. Black hat to white hat. I don't know what that gray, is. I think that's gray. That's yeah, gray. that's a gray hat. That's pretty black. No, actually. that's pretty black. They that's stole the black. money. They just yeah. didn't steal all of it. <laughs> yeah, they definitely stole the money. <laughs> that's crazy. All right. Update with the Ethereum a difficulty bomb. The Difficulty bomb is being delayed for two months, uh, and the difficulty bomb is coming at the end of August. What the difficulty bomb is, is it slows down Ethereum block times. It's been in Ethereum for since day one. It's been the pressure, the uh, fire under the butts of Ethereum developers to make sure that proof of stake ultimately gets shipped. It's a part of a ritual to kick this thing back over and over and over again. They are kicking it back one last time for two months uh, because we cannot ship the merge fast enough before the difficulty bomb came. Uh, so that means that overall a longer wait for the so merge. So from but August- at this point, it doesn't really matter because we're in from a bear market anyways. August to when? November? Is that when it's gonna be put, it's pushed back to? Yeah, uh, end of November, early October, I think, yeah. Got it, mm -hmm. got it, got it. Yeah, um, I guess that will have some bearing, but probably no bearing really. And what's this This other thing? Maker adding yeah. our ETH as collateral? It's a decision? Yeah, yeah. This is really, really cool. So our ETH from Rocket Pool. Rocket Pool's liquid staked ETH. So when you deposit to uh, your Ether into Rocket Pool, you get our ETH back in return. Same thing with staked ETH out of Lido. But Rocket Pool, uh, and the difference between Lido and Rocket Pool is that you can also add your own node to the Rocket Pool network, which is the difference from Lido. There is a vote to add our ETH as a collateral type in MakerDAO, allowing you to deposit our ETH into MakerDAO and borrow DAI against it. Uh, and so I'm a big fan of, uh, of competition in the staked ETH uh, arena. Lido has a ton of staked ETH and people are worried about how much supply that they have. And in order to get other staked ETH alternatives, we need integrations into DeFi. And this poll ended literally like 30 minutes ago at the time of recording, midday Thursday. And we have an overwhelming yes in 40,800 MKRs voting Yes, 22,000 MKR tokens voting no. And so our ETH is going to be added as collateral in MakerDAO, probably with a really er, er, um, low collateralization ceiling, as in not that many DAI mm. can be minted against our ETH to start. This is normal. Uh, but the idea is that this helps incur our ETH liquidity. And so as a result of this, this is a liquidity uh, mechanism for our ETH. 
puts uh, more demand for our ETH, creates more die supply for MakerDAO, and ultimately will help our ETH become more liquid. So bullish, Ryan, on the competition between staked ETH derivative tokens. I'm glad we have alternatives because we need alternatives because competition is always good for the consumer. Congratulations to Rocketpool DAO for getting that done. Absolutely. And speaking of competition, it feels like uh, you know centralized finance, traditional finance is in a competition for talent with DeFi. This is Uniswap Labs <laughs> announcing that they are welcoming Stacy Cunningham, who is the former president of the New York Stock Exchange, as an advisor to Uniswap Labs. So taking her from uh, TradFi to DeFi, and this is Hayden uh, talking about that hire, it's critical that DeFi learns from both the successes and failures of existing financial systems. Former New York Stock Exchange president Stacy Cunningham's experience and excitement uh, expertise and excitement in the transformative potential of AMMs, part of why I'm so thrilled to welcome her as an advisor to Uniswap Labs. Poaching from the New York Stock Exchange, that's what Uniswap is doing right now. Some people will call this like very corporate though, David. Do you, like, what do you think of that sentiment? They'll, they'll be like, oh, we don't need TradFi people. Like, you know, let's leave this in the hands of kind of the geeky uh, crypto nerds who really care about st this stuff. What do you think? No, I think there's a case where Stacey Cunningham is uh, a frontier enthusiast. And so she's leaving the non-frontier and she's going off onto the frontier. You can actually see her Twitter account there on the right. She says uh, in, her, in her bio, markets enthusiast. And I'm a fan of that sentiment. I'm also a markets enthusiast. Uh, so Stacey Cunningham, welcome to the frontier. Uh, and thanks for joining us. Absolutely. We, uh, we're going to take more from the TradFi before this is all over. Yeah. Uh, speaking of frontier enthusiasts, Jim Carrey has now yeah. minted his first <laughs> NFT called Sunshower, and he has sold Speaking it Speaking of well. things I did not have on my bingo card. Yeah, Jim Carrey into NFTs. Uh, Jim Carrey, of course, <laughs> the actor. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, Ace Ventura. This is like some of his yep. favorite. The Mask. Pet Detective. Yeah, yeah The Mask. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah so the many, classic so 90s many. stuff. And now he's getting Bruce into Almighty. NFT world. I love Bruce Almighty. Speaking of the NFT world, David, how's the NFT world doing? Like from a markets perspective, like board apes, crypto punks, mm -hmm. we got to be down too. I haven't even looked at the, the JPEG prices because I've been consumed by other things. What's that looking like? Yeah, I saw a report from the Defiant that I thought was pretty useful with that reported some numbers uh, of uh, common NFTs uh, markets. So Board Ape Yacht Club down 14% to 76 ETH. CryptoPunks up 3% to 48 ETH. And that is the only NFT project that's up this week. Other Deeds down 35% to 2 ETH. Moonbirds down 30% to 15.5 ETH. Clone X down 34% to 8.2 ETH. Azuki down 20% to 9.4 ETH. That's just this so, week, right? Yeah, just, that's a very recently, yeah. Uh, and so um, this definitely lends itself to the argument that uh, NFTs are leveraged ETH, if you believe that. Uh, but also CryptoPunks, you know, return into fundamentals, right? Right, guys? Right, Do you guys? Think, do you do you think do you think that um, that's true? NFTs are just leveraged ETH. I guess it depends um, on the NFT, doesn't it? I definitely think so. My jury is still out for that, but this yeah. is something that Eric Connor uh, chants, and uh, I'm 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 waiting to be convicted on that more. I think you could make that case for something like Nouns that has like actual ETH backing yeah. uh, backing right. in its treasury. Maybe that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. But like I know some people, a lot of people who've mentioned to me that they're they're waiting for some generational lows to go right. buy some of these OG blue right. chip. Uh, NFTs, like a crypto punk, you know, when the time is right. But I always wonder about them. I'm going to go like check back because you say that now, but right. when you are in the depth of the bear market 
mm-hmm. these NFTs are trading super low. Will you have the guts to make those purchases right. at right. that point in time? Because that's where I always falter. Because I'm like, it's just a JPEG. What do you think? It's uh, it's when Bitcoin had its first price run up and then crash. Imagine being in the first Bitcoin bull run and then the first Bitcoin crash. There is no precedent for Bitcoin ever coming back. And so the people that bought the first Bitcoin crash down to like, I don't know what it was, $100, they had to have just brains of steel, right? Because there's no guarantees that these things come back. And the NFTs are the same. There's no precedent for these NFTs ever coming back in price. Right. Are NFTs part of the future or are they just a part of 2021? Or will TBD. it be a new crap, uh, new crap, new crop of NFTs, right? That's the thing that's <laughs> that people Freudian are... Freudian slip, Mr. <laughs> Non-NFT. Maybe. <laughs> Look, I got an NFT right behind me, all right? <laughs> this dude kneeling. That's an NFT, David. Not a crypto punk. You, by the way, you gonna put your crypto punk up somewhere in your new place? Yeah, totally. As soon as I get my hands back on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. You don't have your crypto punk? No, it's with all my other. Oh, stuff. Oh, the image of your crypto punk. Right? Yeah, the okay, image. Yeah. Oh, I have my crypto punk. Of course I you do. It's in your I brain can't wallet. I can hang my ERC seven twenty one here. <laughs> all right, all right, right. Leaning into what's next, Jack Dorsey's Bitcoin venture TBD unveils new proposal for decentralized web platform. This caught crypto Twitter by storm and reignited the feud between Jack Dorsey and Andreessen, Mark Andreessen. Uh, and so Jack Dorsey releases, uh, along with Square, re- releases Web Five. <laughs> web Five. Five? Web 5? Yeah, so here's That's the, the presentation. actual literal name for it, right? That's the, uh, yeah, Web 5, the decentralized web platform, a new evolution of the web that enables decentralized apps and protocols. Uh, so like sounding a lot like DeFi, right? Uh, so here's the, the pitch deck. But Web 5 came from the math behind Web 2 plus Web 3 equals web five. Oh, I uh, see that math. Right. Yeah. The math, the math does check out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I ran the, I ran those numbers myself. Uh, but really the TLDR here is Bitcoin plus decentralized identity. Uh, hmm. And so decentralized identity is a thing that's a conversation outside of crypto. Decentralized identity was a topic of conversation and topic of research and development before crypto was a thing. And many, many companies around this around the world have worked on decentralized identity. Uh, there is a there's an identity consortium, like identity standards, just like the World Wide Web standards. This is a concept outside of crypto, so it's not native to crypto. However, decentralized identity pairs really, really well with crypto. Our DeFi apps, our NFT orgs, our DAOs are definitely bolstered and enabled in just great like, fashion by decentralized identity. Would you say identity. this, David? Crypto gives decentralized identity a use case? A huge use case. Not It's not exclusive to that. Decentralized identity works. It would be great for Web2 because you can like... The meme of owning your own data and like charging Mark Zuckerberg for accessing your data, that is the meme of decentralized identity, Ryan, not crypto. Right. And so decentralized identity is useful for Web2 and individual sovereignty aside from crypto. But when you marry... Web3, Jack Dorsey, with decentralized identity, you get an explosion. Like the, the, the renaissance explosion that Josh Rosenthal leans into, like that's what we're oh, talking I think about. This is Such true. cool stuff. I, I think this is true of the money use case too, right? It's like uh, Bitcoin is cool on its own, but when you have a, a, a non-sop, like when you have a, right. a self-sovereign money inside of a decentralized financial system, then you actually get a use case for that money. And that's what Ethereum is doing. Mm-hmm. It's giving a use case for Ether. I think that the same is true of decentralized identity. It's just like, where do you use decentralized identity in the real world? I mean, I have a passport. I have a driver's license. Right. I have a, a right. Gmail account. I have an email. Like I have a Facebook login, whatever. What do I need DID for? Right. Well, you need it in order to like 
uh, do pseudonymous governance in a DAO mm -hmm. in order to actually right. vote, in order to like right. um, actually participate in some of these NFT uh, communities. That's you need what you it really in the need metaverse, it. Ryan. Yeah. You need it in the, met the metaverse requires about. decentralized identity. Anyway, and this go is on. Why What's Jack building here? Yeah, so this is this is why like this is in my mind a little bit skeuomorphic. You need smart contracts. You need a, a variety of tokens. You need metaverse real estate, metaverse land, all the metaverse things, metaverse games, and you need a decentralized identity in there to actually make a self-sovereign metaverse. Um, but Jack is trying to to just add a, an identity layer on top of Bitcoin, uh, and he somehow claims that it's making like DeFi, like kind of like decentralized finance apps, et cetera, et cetera. Once you add an identity to Bitcoin, I'm confused about that um, but uh, with like uh, di dids decentralized identifiers and verifiable credentials which are uh, terms you might have heard from our recent show with Evan McMullen and Vitalik Buterin if you want to go down that rabbit hole uh, they are applying these things to Bitcoin and the Bitcoin blockchain just to create a world of self-sovereign identity on a Bitcoin standard which is confusing to me although it is it is the appropriate use of dids and VCs yeah. again not not venture capitalists ver verifiable credentials but then it's like injecting it into the Bitcoin blockchain which is uh, where I get confused yeah I kind of, so I kind of like it I like the concept of having a self-sovereign identity now whether it takes mm -hmm. off like do you have the use cases to actually support it or not it's like a Jury's still out, but I like that they're pursuing this. The weird mm -hmm. thing about it is kind of the uh, the wrapping of the whole thing, yes. which is very anti-Web3 and very, I would say, like it's wrapped in this like almost Bitcoin maximalist, like all we need is the Bitcoin Super. chain for everything sort Super. of persona, which yeah. is just like doesn't make sense to me. And there was this back and forth that you mentioned between Mark Andreessen, who came on the Bengals podcast recently, made the case for Web3, and, yeah. um, and Jack Dorsey. He says... This is Mark Andreessen. Wait, what happened to Web 4? <laughs> we skipped right to Web 5, right? And right. then Jack says, same thing that happened to Web 3. I don't know what he means by that. He just mean he means like it's irrelevant or gonna fade to existence oh, or wasn't, oh, I wasn't a thing in the first place, right? right? Uh, which is you know definitely a Bitcoin maxi take. And so and the thing is like people started just making fun of this. Yeah. Like the the joke was not accepted by the the like not even inside of crypto but outside of crypto. Melissa Chen, uh, she's actually somebody I respect because she reports on China. She's not really a crypto person. She's just like a Chinese markets and and commentator critical of China. Uh, and she goes, can we just go skip straight to Web sixty nine like throwing a whole like farce out of the whole like web did you web see snoop dogg's tweet he talked no oh he tweeted something about uh, getting ready to launch web 8 like he just <laughs> tweets this the same day it got a lot right, of play yeah. so the joke did not land at jack dorsey so swing and a miss on that one but the uh yeah it's interesting right it's, the technology's real the technology's real and i'm the joke I, is bad i would actually love to um mm -hmm. to have somebody from web 5 or jack dorsey on Bankless to explore this a little yes. bit more as Please. we're exploring like uh decentralized identity and verify credentials mm -hmm. Uh, David. Um, yeah, real quick here. Coin Center suing the Treasury plus the IRS. Coin Center, our favorite crypto lobbying firm, filed a lawsuit against the Treasury Department and the IRS claiming a crypto tax reporting requirement contained in the infamous infrastructure bill is unconstitutional. The lawsuit claims in 2021, the Biden and Congress amended a little known tax reporting mandate. If the amendment is allowed to go through, it will impose mass surveillance regime on ordinary Americans. The provision in the infrastructure bill regime uh, uh, last summer would require individuals and businesses receiving $10,000 or more in crypto to report that person's date of birth and social security number. So Ryan, if I send you $10,000 of crypto, I have to report your birth date, your name, and your social security number, of which I do not know, to the IRS and the Treasury. How do you, would you feel about if I did that? How I, would that make you feel? I think that would, that would suck.
I think that is yeah, like completely needless, right? And do mm -hmm. I have to do that if you send if you hand me over ten thousand dollars in cash? And this is very know, much surveillance so. state, like unnecessary. So I'm glad mm -hmm. uh, somebody is standing up to this, and this is why we need think crypto about, lobbyists. Protect our ten thousand dollars of your NFT sale. You mm -hmm. got to report your counterparty Doesn't to the IRS. Sense. Like, like whatever. We Crazy. can't AML KYC the entire world here. Um, we don't need yeah. to either. And it's also not the point. Have and it the at point the is fiat. To not do that. Hey, have it at the fiat gateways. Right. That's yes. where we have it today. That's right. what makes sense. Yep. Um, Jeremy Allaire just announced Eurocoin. So Jer Jeremy Allaire, of course, one of the the main people behind uh, Circle and, and USDC, which is a very popular uh, centralized stablecoin, now launching the Euro version of USDC. And what's cool about this is immediately, because it's Circle, they get Binance Bitstamp support, they get DeFi support, they get Custodian support, wallet support. Uh, kind of cool for Euro to have its own stablecoin. Also surprised it took this long. Feels like... You know, I should have already been there, but I guess um, U.S. dollars is still the world reserve currency, so most people are holding it there. Mm -hmm. um, David, we got some releases this week too. What do, mm -hmm. what do we want to cover? Yeah, we got a vampire attack on Twitter. Uh, Lens, if you integrate your Lens protocol with your Twitter, you can automatically post your tweets to Lens protocol with Lens Share. So there's a link in the show notes. There is probably a Lens protocol token coming, Ryan. And so more footprints on Lens, the better. Uh, and so you can vampire attack Twitter by posting your tweets automatically to Lens and allowing people to consume your tweets on Lens protocol. So there's that. Coming up next as well, Claim your hop tokens. Drop it like it's hop. You can now claim your hop tokens, ladies and gentlemen. There's a link in the show notes to get that done. Uh, and so that's at app.hop.exchange. Uh, oh, ah, Ryan, you're an Ethereum user, so you got a thousand uh, uh, hop tokens. So congratulations on that. Oh, wow, that uh, just loaded up. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't even know that. And then last release of the week, OpenSea has required, uh, acquired Seaport. We covered this a couple weeks ago, uh, and now that is finally being uh, migrated over. So OpenSea is now a front end to just like the Seaport protocol. Uh, and so as a result of that, we are saving a bunch of money on gas because Seaport is just so much more gas efficient than OpenSea. And so some of the details here, you can now make offers on items in an entire collection or by items with a specific attribute, and which is the first of its kind for Ethereum NFT marketplaces. You can display floor prices and percent rarity by attribute now as well. Also, there are no setup fees for Seaport accounts. When you made your first trade on OpenSea, you would have to initialize your account, which was an expensive, gas-intensive endeavor. Uh, and so you, people are already saving money because they don't need to set up, uh, initialize their wallet on OpenSea with Seaport, uh, saving users at this current rate $120 million a year in gas and also uh, there's other features coming as well like listing many nfts in a single transaction and creators also being able to define multiple payouts out on OpenSea. basically OpenSea getting a lot more expressive a lot more composable doing a lot more cool things uh, there's speculation ryan that OpenSea will never do a token probably because they're probably just a, this not the right vibe for them but open but seaport a different entity might still do a token. I'm still kind of skeptical on that outcome, but the path is there for that. Interesting. Guys, we've got more coming up, uh, including questions from the Bankless community. We'll get to some of those. And of course, some hot takes from Twitter. Vitalik has his own take. We give you some takes about the bear markets. Make sure you guys like and subscribe. We'll be right back. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible.
Hey guys, we are back with a new segment we call Questions from the Nation. Of course, to get your question in, you gotta follow us on Twitter and wait for this every Wednesday, sometimes Thursday. We post a que- we post a question to the community, which is ask your question. Do you have a question for the weekly roll up? And we try to answer some of the top questions. David, this was one of them. I'm gonna read this out, and then uh, why don't you take a shot at the answer here? This is from Claudie.eth. Uh, Christina Claudie one. Hi Ryan and David. I would love to know your opinion about staking ETH on Merge via Lido. Do you still consider it safe or do you think that Lido and so that ST ETH is in risk thanks to the problems with Celsius? So this uh, in, uh, listener is wondering whether we think that ST ETH and Lido, that's the stake derivative uh, ETH version on Lido, is in risk given Celsius and all of the turmoil. What do you think about this? The answer is very definitively no. There's nothing wrong with Lido. This, this is only to do with Celsius. Staked ETH is trading at a discount to ETH right now because people like Celsius, entities like Celsius and other people that have used stake ETH as collateral had to sell their staked ETH Uh, on the market to get ETH back to pay back their collateral, but that has nothing to do with the actual protocol of Lido itself. It doesn't doesn't mean anything. So like they are completely immune from that. It's just market shenanigans. That is a byproduct of the fact that Ether on the beacon chain is locked for the foreseeable future. So people that needed liquidity had to sell their staked ETH for a discount in order to access that liquidity. That does not mean anything about the solvency of Lido. That is just completely irrelevant and just not related to the to anything to do with Celsius. And so this is, not only is this not a risk, this is an actual an opportunity. And so some people are forced sellers of staked ETH. I think the staked ETH rate right now is something like 0.94 staked ETH to ETH when those things should be trading at one to one. And so you can actually take, if you have like 10 ETH, for example, and you take it to Curve where you can get staked ETH liquidity, you can turn 10 ETH into something like uh, 10.6 ETH. And so if you are, if you have a bunch of Ether and you're ready to be locked up and until the withdrawals are enabled at an unknown time in the future, you can actually count that you can actually get that arbitrage and turn your 10 ETH into like 10.6 ETH for free. You're basing that because every ST ETH is mm-hmm. redeemable for one ETH once withdrawals are enabled, right? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of basing it on that. You're saying like ST ETH is depegged from the price of ETH. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a long term holder of ETH and you want staked ETH, you can just right. buy that and you make maybe like. Five percent more, ten percent right. more in terms of your ETH holding at the end of this. The only person, that, the only people that are really affected by this ST ETH depegging are some of the Dgens, right? right? So if you have a collateralized loan that's denominating ST ETH because you're right. trying to get leverage in your staked ETH, you might want to check on that. Like that's not a good. <laughs> but if you're just a Lido depositor, right? right. right S, one ST ETH is still worth one ETH, and uh, once the merge happens, once withdrawals are enabled. Uh, there should be no problem withdrawing that at this point in time. That's kind of good news, right? Because people are worried about that. If you have cash, this is an opportunity. So not only do you get like that five, six percent premium because of the staked ETH discount, you are also getting the staking yields on top of that as well. Yeah. Uh, So bullish. Bullish. How about this question, David? But but note on that, actually, that doesn't mean you go and stake your ETH in Lido. You don't, because then you will you will get, <laughs> if you take 10 ETH and you go stake it in Lido, you will get 10 staked ETH in return, which are only worth 0.96. Oh, so you, should buy. you should buy staked ETH. You should that's not go stake point. your ETH with Lido. That's a yeah. different thing. You want to go buy it off the secondary market because that's where the discount is. Okay. There you go. Uh, Dragondad.eth. One thing I'll say about that, though, is mm-hmm. there might be some tax implications of doing that. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yes. I don't know. Talk to your thank accountant you, as Thank well. you, tax None of this is financial advice. <laughs> 
All What's right. his next question? Next question. Uh, what should retail investors be doing now? Hodl? Borrow dollars and buy? Oof. Sell and buy back later? So this is a hard question because it always depends on facts and circumstances. Who you are, what your financial situation is, is going to depend on what the answer is. And I don't know your financial situation, dragondad.eth, but I do know, <laughs> the only thing I do know is that Ether at $1,100 is a better price than it was at $2,000 and $3,000 and $4,000. Uh, and so it really depends on do what what are your outstanding liabilities? How much you have to pay in rent? How much you have to pay for your mortgage? Do you have like do you have to pay for your kids' college? Uh, do you have to pay for your food? What do you have to pay for? In my opinion, and it always will be, Ether is the greatest asset of all time, and the world is just slow to figure that out. So if you have everything buttoned down, I am a big fan of dollar cost averaging because we are down so bad that we're probably not going to rocket up off of the ground. I do not know the future, of course, but I would lean into you having long more time to dollar cost average into crypto rather than less. Because when there's so much pain in the markets, things just don't recover instantly. Uh, and so, uh, again, I don't know who you are. I don't know your financial situation, but I would say that you have time to make slow and conscious and calculated decisions. How do you feel about that answer, Ryan? Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And I'm going to be like, the, give the crypto dad answer that's going to work best for like 95% of people, right? Which is like, um, absolutely hold yeah. is the question. So hold, mm -hmm. yes. Borrow dollars and buy? No, do okay. not do that. The, do there not are people that the answer of borrow dollars and buy, the, the answer to that question is yes, but it's not to the people that ask the question. It's people yeah, that know the not. already answer. Just margin is just like, look at look at experienced three years capital, right. the best crypto fund managers, hedge fund managers, they just got liquidated because of margin, all right? So borrow dollars and buy, no, 95% mm -hmm. of people, if you're listening to this, you're probably one of them. Um, sell and buy back in later, also a no. That this makes is you a game. trader. That makes you a trader. Are exactly. you a trader or are you just, you know, an investor? You got it. We've said this before. You got to pick your character class. And we, as we were talking about the top of the episode, right? So like if you're in the acceptance phase, you're going to be tempted to like um, trade these dips, the ups and the downs. I think a lot of people will lose a lot of money doing that. You're better mm -hmm. off dollar cost averaging in, holding what you have at this point in time. None of this is financial advice, just our personal takes on it. This this kind of thing probably works for the vast majority of bankless listeners. Um, all right, David, let's get to some takes of the week. This is a hot identity take from none other than Vitalik. He's talking all about identity now, yeah, uh, right. since he's come on the Bankless Podcast, you know? Yeah. And uh, this is a really interesting take. What, what does he say? Yeah, he goes, please stop using real name to refer to your passport name. Your government doesn't get to define you who you really are. If you use a different name in most day-to-day -day inter interactions, that is your real name. Passport name, legal name, slave name, to be edgy, are all fine. Uh, and so basically, he's just saying, like, yeah, your government doesn't dictate what your name is. You dictate what your name is. Now, wow. I, I so happen to have the same name that I have on my passport. But if the government told me that my name was different, I would reject that. And that's basically what Vitalik here is saying. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting take. It, it just... Um I think it brings to light how much we are, like we, we are in the water we swim and we don't even recognize there's water around us, right? Like what is our name? Oh, that's the state issue. It's the thing on my birth certificate. It's the state well, issue. It's also name. the name that your parents gave you. Most of the true. Time. Most of the time. true. But, um, let's say, let's say the state changed my name, but my parents didn't. Right. And I mm -hmm. didn't decide to then 
what is actually my name? A lot of us would default, well, my real name is whatever it says on the birth certificate. Is that your real name? Wow, the, the nation state and our institutions have a lot of hidden force exertion on how they're, how they're controlling us. And this does bring up a new avenue for decentralized identity. What, who are you as a person? Well, maybe it's about who you decide to be. Maybe it's about like what your like consent and also the consent of your community. And maybe it doesn't have to be top-down nation state uh, pushed down to you. Anyway, you know, mm -hmm. just opening what, that what up is as an avenue the, of thought. What is the source of truth of your name? Is exactly. it the nation state? Because right now we are in a, that is the actual source of truth. That is the paradigm. In a decentralized identity paradigm, it's whatever you put down. Exactly right. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here are some related takes as well. And this is kind of the silver lining uh, of the bear market that we've seen so far. And that's DeFi didn't break, David. Mm -hmm. This is the first take on that silver lining from you. What are you saying here? Yeah, I say take note. Everything breaking right now is centralized. Meanwhile, DeFi is orderly and efficient. DeFi, not CeFi. Like I said at the beginning, this is like the, the, one of the best tests of DeFi of all time. Billions of dollars getting liquidated. Gas fees were not that crazy. Gas fees were pretty reasonable. Everything got liquidated extremely efficiency, efficiently, except for all the CeFi companies. So if you're CeFi, you're down bad. DeFi is down bad too, but at least DeFi is orderly and efficient. And it's the mandate of the SEC to have orderly and efficient markets. And so doing your job, SEC, we took care of it. Like we don't need you anymore. Well, I do think uh, this that's why not true. We do need you in some instances. We we need you where things are centralized, right? Yes, and I think right. DeFi can be your best friend if you are a regulator mm -hmm. because you get to right-click, view source. What are right. you know? What right. are the assets? What are they uh, composed of? Um, this is uh, my take on the same theme. Two words Celsius and Luna had in common: trust me. Right. Right. Trust. For those That's, that don't follow me on Twitter because they're not on Twitter, Ryan, can you tell them what my Twitter handle is? D David is at Trustless State. Yeah. Give that a follow, okay? It's a great yeah. account. <laughs> Tweets some good things sometimes here or there. Sometimes but not. like, okay, trustless state. What, what did that? What did that come from? And I always wonder, David. I've never asked you this. When you, this, I get the trustless part, right? It's obviously decentralized. It's just the opposite mm -hmm. of trust. Uh, trust me. It's you know trustless. No trust required. The state part. Are you talking yeah. about the state machine? Or are you talking about like um, nation state? Or is the answer to that question yes? That's what you're about yeah, to tell the me. The answer is yes, brother. And did you plan that? A hundred percent, I did. Yes. Well done, the, then. Well the done. state of being trustlessness and the nation state in the clouds is created out of a trustless paradigm. Uh, yeah, I created that that Twitter handle in like 2018 when I barely understood crypto, and I'm actually like you super. Got that. I'm super proud of, of that that like that understanding of like very early in my crypto Look, career. Man, here I am with my Twitter handle. It's just my slave name, my nation state <laughs> slave name, Ryan S. Adams. <laughs> you got to get your metaverse name, brother. <laughs> I know. I know. I got to come up with that. All right, what's this last take on the same theme? Yeah, this last take is coming from the Twitter handle, which I'm not going to even try to pronounce, who says, on-chain transparency is the biggest winner during the UST, uh, that's Terra, Celsius, three hours capital meltdowns. The parts we understand best are because of the blockchain data, and it gives incredibly valuable information to the market. TradFi will never have this. Neener, 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 TradFi, you will never get this. You will never get this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't. But uh, come on over. We'll we'll hire you. We'll help you out a little bit. Um, and the bear market's a good time to come over, even though you probably won't be listening to this during the bear market. Um, David, in all of this, this entire episode has been a bear market episode. But what are you bullish on? Where's the uh, silver lining for you? 
Well, Ryan, I am so glad that you asked because on this week on Bankless, I put this article titled Eight Projects That I'm Bullish On <laughs> in This Bear Perfect. Market. And so I've literally listed these out, eight different projects that I think are both like underreported, underrated, underacknowledged. Some of you might know them, but uh, many of them, I bet you, you don't. Uh, and these are projects that span the entire cryptosphere. So we got ETH staking technology in, in Obel Finance. We have bridging the infinite, infinite number of chains and infinite number of apps across the infinite number of DEX aggregators with LiFi. We got interest rate swap AMMs. We got block natives, which is like predicting the future using the mempool. We got new money markets in Euler. We got Aztec, which is a which is a privacy layer two that lets you use DeFi apps on the layer one. We got Tracer DAO, which is a meta derivatives meta protocol, and Disco, which is a decentralized identity for the data backpack for the metaverse and the realverse. And I summarized all of these things into one great big article. And not only that, Ryan, I put in further resources for diving down the rabbit hole of every single one. If these have jobs, I put links to the jobs that they are hiring. And I also put the win conditions for how each one of these projects can put win and claim market share and mind share in the future. And so is this, this is this what you wish someone did for you last bear market? A hundred percent. All of the stubs like took the notes and were like, hey, go here, go here. Check this out. Right. This is literally eight different rabbit holes from across the crypto space. DeFi apps, layer twos, cross-chain money markets, non-crypto stuff at all. And so, yes, like, and the thing is like, I okay, disclaimer, I'm an investor in all of these, pretty sure Ryan is too. Uh, but this is also why I know they're not gonna rug me and they're not gonna rug my, my readers or listeners who want trusted rabbit holes to go down. And so you can go down this rabbit hole with trust, with trusting there's not a, a trap at the bottom. Wait, wait, I uh, thought you were trustless state. We have to, tr who are we trusting here? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's cool about this though? All these, all these things, when you say rabbit hole, you're not just talking about the project itself. You're talking yes. about all of these are completely different categories, right? right? Bridges are going to be huge. So, huge. So learn about LiFi, but then learn about Hop, learn about all of the other bridging protocols. And actually LiFi is an aggregator on top of that. So it's even mm -hmm. another category. Right. Um, Tracer, this is on like Arbitrum, other layer twos. And it's a uh, a new spin on derivatives, like permissionless mm -hmm. derivatives. Obol, this is a shared secret validator type technology. Right. It's going to help our protocols. So cool. Like each of these cat are categories of rabbit holes mm -hmm. that you mm -hmm. can go down that are like typified by these projects, but open up a, a new door for you to like new new areas, new other projects to explore, new areas in uh, like the crypto space that you didn't already know. That's what's so cool about this. Yeah, and I had a ton of fun writing this piece. I actually put out a tweet saying, hey, uh, if you think there are other rabbit holes to go down, let me know. I'll go and research that project. I think I'm going to turn this into a semi-reoccurring Regular, because I can't make promises, but I'll keep on doing stuff like this, because uh, rabbit holes are fun. And Ryan, we are in a build market, and for the crypto newbies who are trying to gain conviction, for them, we are in a research and development market. Uh, and hopefully, resources like this can help those people gain the conviction that we have, Ryan. Absolutely. Ryan, what are you excited about? Look, man, I'm excited because we're going to make it. Notice I didn't say we're all going to make it, because some people will quit. Like the tourists leave as, settlers as what stay. happens yep uh so i've never like we're all gonna we're all gonna make it a nice thing to say but the reality is like some of us will make it those that do are here because they have conviction but like what i what i really mean is this feels a lot different than 2018 to me um some people that's the number one question people ask of like those that were around in the last bear cycle is like oh is this 2018 how does this feel how does this compare to that and here's the difference in 2018, we didn't have product market fit in crypto or DeFi. DeFi was actually nothing at that time. We had like Maker, maybe 
It kind of worked. We weren't sure though. Only in we the didn't second, have only on the down, downtrend, yeah. Yeah, we barely had NFTs, right? No one was actually like using these. We had CryptoKitties and that wrecked the entire chain. Ethereum had no path to scalability or staking. There were ideas like Plasma, state channels, no real path. Staking was distant. We didn't know how distant at the time, but like there was no pending merge that was actually going to happen with a beacon chain that was live. In 2022, we have all of this. The difference here is we've been punched down by macro and self-inflicted leverage wounds. That's what you saw, Celsius. I don't, I don't feel self-inflicted leverage wounds from Three Arrows Capital, by the way, just for the record. I feel well, like they inflicted that upon me. Well, okay, so maybe they they inflicted that on themselves, and like you're getting like I don't know the, the backdraft of that. Yeah. The collab, mm -hmm. yes, the collateral damage of that. So in 2018. I was fearful. And you know why I was fearful, David? Because I wasn't actually sure we were going to make it at that time because yeah. we didn't have the, the hardest thing, which is like product market fit. We had ICO, were people going to come back after like these ICO things? And so I was a lot more fearful then. I'm not now because now this is just a matter of, of macro. This is just a matter of like self-inflicted leverage. So they'll take some time to heal, but they will heal. Like we have product market fit now. And um, I'm not... I'm not concerned in the same way I was in 2018. In fact, I'm like, I'm like bullish going into this, this bear market. Mm -hmm. So it's a totally different vibe and a totally different feel, at least for me. I don't know if you, you feel some of that, but. Yeah. You know, as a result of this tweet, Ryan, I think I'll stick around for the bear market. <laughs> I convinced you. I think, I think I'll stick around. Awesome, man. We'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. see this I'll again. See what I'll see what happens on the other side. We'll see this again. What do we got? Memes of the week. What are we looking at? Memes of the week. This is life comes at you pretty fast. And this is the man uh, triggering a dominoes within the dominoes get bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. And so the first domino is a bat in China. And then the middle domino is I'm worth a hundred million dollars. And then the last <laughs> domino is I'm homeless. Uh, and you know, good memes package up data pretty damn well. And this, in my, what I hear is a bunch of whiplash. This is what I'll say back when I, uh, we, we did our bear market emergency live stream. I blame the Fed for just whiplashing this market around, like spraying money everywhere. Say, hey, free money. Like, don't worry about the pandemic. We're giving you free money. And then they raise interest rates, like give that money back. And everyone was like, I spent it all. Uh, and that's, and so like, I, bl I blame the Fed. And so, yeah, if you are homeless, sorry if you're homeless, blame the Fed. There are the, the, the this meme encapsulates the three segments here. We had COVID, we had mm -hmm. like meme stocks, money doesn't mean anything anymore. And now we're moving into like recession, hopefully yep. not something worse. We just, um, we sped run that so fast. Look, here's another uh, another uh, gif that's, uh, we'll end with we this one, the meme of the week. This is about uh, transitory inflation. What are we looking at, David? Yeah, uh, and so this is a bunch of people. I think this must be like I don't know the Swips Alice or something. They're speaking English. Also, the sound on this is really scary, which is why we're not playing uh, playing it. But you can definitely tell that all these people are looking at something over the mountain. They look like they're at a ski resort, and then you see the snow coming in. It's like, oh wow, there's an avalanche happening over there on, on that mountain over there. And so they're all looking at this avalanche, and then they all at the same time realize that they are about to get blasted by this avalanche because it's coming for them. And it took them like a really long time to realize that they were about to get blasted by this avalanche. And so the caption is, is that inflation? Uh, and then yes, and it's transitory. We won't even notice. And then the, in the last frame, they are just completely blasted by snow. Yeah, it, uh, that's kind of how it felt. Like we got blasted yeah. by an entire avalanche. Uh, inflation not so transitory. Guys, we're gonna get through this. This has been our bear market episode. Hopefully the worst down bad 
week of the year. But as always, got to end with this. None of this has been financial advice. Of course, Bitcoin and ETH are risky. As we've said before, you could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. We're glad it's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.